Welcome to Soberholic, a podcast about Christian recovery, where each week we explore topics that can free you from bondage and strengthen your relationship with God, others, and yourself. Now, your show hosts, Roger and Jason. Welcome back to the show, guys. My name's Roger. I'm with my co-host, Jason, and we're going to talk about Soberholic today. Soberholic stuff, huh? Yeah, Soberholic every day. <laughs> hey, but before we do, man, let me tell you what happened to me this weekend. Um, or I guess it's not really this weekend. It's, it, it's happened over a several day period. I don't know when it actually happened, but, um, here in Alabama where we do our show for the listeners who don't know what the whole or, or do, I'll probably need to set where we're at because it's probably different across the, the U S. Um, we're getting close to where it's deer hunting season here and being a good and like, like myself, <laughs> I, I like to go deer hunting. And part of that is getting things ready um, or places uh, for the deer to come feed. And, yeah, you could go find a good acorn tree and all those type things uh, to hunt. But I'm the lazy man hunter, so we plant food plots and put up corn feeders. And all that's legal here in Alabama. It's legal now, yeah. And so um, I've been doing a lot of that here the past few days, getting things ready because in about two to three weeks, something like that, um, we'll be doing bow season uh, for whitetail deer here in Alabama. And I'm doing the normal things, and and it's all setting out just fine and doing my lazy man hunting. But the bad thing about here in Alabama is it's not really gotten cold yet. Like, we're we're saying that it's got cold because it's now our highs are like 79. (laughs) (laughs) So we feel like that's cold. But it's not really cold yet, cold enough to make the insects go away. So the problem with that is um, there's one particular – well, there's several things here in Alabama that about you. Uh, I mean, you got ticks, you got fleas, you got all kinds of stuff. And I got into something that made me itch like one of those things had bit me. But because this has happened to me multiple times throughout my years of hunting, I knew what this was quickly because there's not one bite on me, man. There's not two bites on me. There's not 10. There's not 50 bites on me. There's probably 100 bites on me. Mm-hmm. And they're, they look like little zits almost, mm-hmm. but they itch like crazy and they're called red bugs or that's what we call them here or where they're called chiggers but in other places they're called red bugs red bugs yeah um but we get, we call them chiggers here or most people do and um you can't see the bug man yeah. i mean it's just it's microscopic and when one bites you usually there's like oh, like yeah. this there's like a hundred of them yeah. so i've been scratching like crazy i've had like no sleep and the worst part of it is they don't just bite you on the arm they don't bite you on the chest. They get in every nook and cranny to do it. And so <laughs> I'm walking around like I've got the hives or, uh, I don't know, uh, some kind of. Like you're high or something. Or there's some kind of, yeah, I got, the, I got that crack itch, you know. <laughs> uh, so anyways, if just bear with me as we go through this. I may fall asleep. I don't know because I've been taking <laughs> Benadryl and I don't do good with that period. And then I ain't had no sleep because I've been scratching all night. So it, it's been a, it's been a bad day. Let's just, and there's still more to come because this, this will hang in there for at least a week. What do you do? You just take a bunch of showers? Because they, they dig in under your skin, don't well, they? Well, everybody thought that they burrow in, but they don't. They, they literally, don't? They, they bite on, you can wash them off pretty easy, but it's how they, like, I don't know if they inject like some kind of acid into you. That's probably, that's not the correct way of saying it. Some it, acid. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it is. The bug's gone. But last time I got these things, 
I could go on and on about chigger stories. <laughs> but the last time I got these um, bad like I've got them now was about, well, it was 16 years ago. It was my first year in recovery because I remember going to an AA meeting showing my, at that time, girlfriend, which who is now my wife, but I had them all. I mean, I probably had a thousand of them on me. And I listened to all these old timers, you know, because that's what you listen to in recovery yeah. is old timers. And these were the stories I heard to make the itching go away and make sure you kill the bug. You could use alcohol. That burns very bad. Yeah. Um, you could use Clorox. That actually worked some, but it burnt really bad too. And probably wasn't healthy because I was born bleach into open sores. That's not um, good, yeah. I used burnt motor oil. You remember Mama Jean? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's the one told me to use burnt motor oil. I put, put used motor oil wow. on, on it. Um, and then the best yet is my parents lived. I was living with my parents at that time. They lived on an, on a river, and literally their living room was nothing but glass windows all around, so you could just see the view. And um, so at night, you could certainly see in their house because there's no, window, no blinds over the windows because you didn't want to block the view. I was laid over our, our couch in the living room with my mother, butt naked, with my mother painting every one of those thousand little things with clear fingernail polish trying to suffocate them. But there wasn't ever in there. Oh, it was my just, goodness. It was the wife's tale. But just imagine your yeah. mom painting your butt with clear fingernail polish. Nice. Yeah. yeah so. I know what you should do. You should just get uh, your wife to... Y'all get out the uh, pressure washer mm -hmm. and go out on the deck? If they keep itching like this, <laughs> I don't know that I wouldn't try it, to be honest with you. It, it's pretty bad. But yeah. the, the worst part is where they bite you. It's in places you would not want to hit with a pressure yeah, washer. That's true. That's true. So, <laughs> so anyway, so now that all of our listeners have got to know me better, <laughs> what's going on with you? <laughs> uh, so uh, here's what I want to do today is um, last week we had our guest on. His name was Griffin Long. Yeah. And um, I, I thought one of the remarkable things about Griffin's story was that he got sober um, kind of doing online meetings um, because he couldn't afford to get anywhere. And the, the cool thing was this was like pre-Rona. You know, Rona wasn't oh, even a yeah. heard thing here. This was years ago when he used this option of getting sober. And I think it's an option that people have to look at today because now that the coronavirus is around, you have no, you really don't have a lot of options. Now, there are meetings still going on, and I'm still a firm believer in, in a face-to-face -face meeting, which I'm sure our listeners will hear that with the way that maybe I defend some of these, these um, positions as we talk. But I do believe that because the limited ability or limited number of face-to-face -face meetings, we have to look at online meetings as an option. And so, in your opinion, uh, maybe through your friends and in our recovery circles or, or things you've heard, what does it look like? How are people navigating recovery during the midst of this pandemic? Uh, um, I, I talked to. Uh I've talked to since the coronavirus. I've talked to a couple of my friends um, from my old home group, and um, uh, that was in New Orleans or whatever. And they're doing kind of like both of them were talking about. They kind of are doing like a combo package where they're still doing some, and uh, you know, once a month, twice a month in person meetings, but then they're supplementing it with like an online Zoom meeting or whatever. And uh, one guy kind of summed it up pretty good as far as the online meetings. And, um, you know, I, I, I 
probably feel the same about the way the online meeting is, is, you know, it, it's not ideal, but it's something and it's better than nothing. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like that's probably a shared sentiment among a lot of people that it's not, it's not the most ideal thing to do, but you know, when that's your only option, then, then it's a good option because it's better than nothing. It's better than not being connected at all and just isolating and not doing anything. That's something me and you were talking about the other day. I feel like I've kind of hit a place where I'm not really doing anything in my recovery. And, you know, I would say it's probably 90% of it is because of the whole Corona situation. Because the meeting that, you know, you and I were going to is no longer going. There's not really a a close one to us, um, per se. And uh, so, it, it, you know, it r- really limits your options, you know, depending on where you live and all that kind of stuff. It, it, you know, the coronavirus has affected the recovery community in huge ways. Yeah, because... Um um, kind of going off of a conversation you and I had off the air about recovery and what we were going to do with recovery. And now that our recovery meeting is not really meeting like it was face to face or anything, what does it look like now in recovery? And, um, that, that got me thinking a lot about that because in my opinion, the coronavirus has been more than just this, you know, virus or disease that we get that affects breathing and and those things for the recovery community, it seems to have isolated all of us. And then, um, that's kind of been one of the unexpected consequences of the shelter in place orders, the social distancing, um, because Mm -hmm. a lot of our groups is difficult to social distance in. I know um, here in um, our state, and I don't know if this is nationwide or what, but many of the Methodist churches, which I'm not a part of that denomination, but um, they shut all of their churches down for a while. I think they've reopened at those churches now, but that was just recently. So they stayed shut down for a long time. So if the church is shut down, many of your, um, you know, cross-center recovery programs have stayed shut down. Your options with secular recovery and many of those don't have their own clubhouses to, to you know host their meetings in, so they were they were dependent upon the churches to begin with, and so the access to the buildings wasn't there, and so that in turn kind of began to make people isolate because there was nowhere to go to to these meetings, and some have you know came up with their own ways of doing it, and I guess for me as a looking in at what I've seen some other groups do is the Zoom meetings were the big thing, the Mm -hmm. online Zoom-type meetings. And um, they worked really well in the beginning, and for many, they're still working. Um, I've seen them take different um, directions. Some are are still more like a sharing-focused thing, and some are more informative, almost like our podcast of giving tips and tricks and those type things. Um, um, And so I I don't know that any of those are right or wrong, I personally just believe that the community that comes with an own in a face to face is more beneficial to me. Now, uh, here's my disclaimer: is any of us get older, we get set in our ways, and yeah. we believe that the way that we did it is the best way to do it, and so you can't talk me out of that. 
and um, change my mind. <laughs> exactly. And so I just am a firm believer. I got sober to, with face-to-face meetings. I built community that way. And so I just think that that's the way that it's supposed to be. However, if you look at, um, let's get to the, the younger ages. I, I'm 42 years old. And if you look at, um, I don't 40s. know. I know. I don't know where the millennials and all those stop. And I don't know the Gen X and, and what ages all those ranges are. But I'm just going to just throw out a random number. But if you say maybe 35 down to 19, somewhere around there, for my observations, and, and my, I've got children that fall into some of those categories on the lower end. They don't really care about being face to face anymore, right? You know, literally. I mean, my son—I don't think his phone ever rings. It's always like a text, text. a Snapchat, or something TikToks. like that. Just regular communication <laughs> back and forth yeah. didn't really happen much anymore, right? Or at least that's what it looks like. So it may be that our younger people in recovery, you know, would prefer this online meeting platform. Yeah, yeah I mean. I don't know. I, I know for me, too, I mean, in-person is, you know, far superior. But then that begs the question, but if it's working, then then do it. I mean, that's kind of where, where I'm at with the online meetings. If it works for you, then do it. If it doesn't work for you, then try to find a meeting. I mean, I I think I know where we live, there are some meetings. There's not a lot of them. And a lot of them have not made it back yet from the... Um, the pandemic but there are a few and you know you can you know for us we'd have to drive a little ways but um but anyway i'm i'm more for in person i think there's more value in it but you know i I think uh if if all you got is the online you should definitely do it i want to share some statistics with you this is a pretty interesting statistics it goes along what we're talking about since the COVID-19 crisis started in March, these are statistics from the state of North Carolina, uh, where one of my friends is a um, a licensed professional counselor, right. and they're 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 doing like a study on um, the effect of COVID-19 on um, recovery communities and uh, drug uses, al- alcohol usage, and all that kind of stuff. So since it began. There's been a 31% increase in non-prescribed fentanyl use. There's been a 19% increase for methamphetamine, a 12% increase for cocaine, 12% increase for heroin, and then there's a national average of 25% increase in overdose deaths. Hmm. Um, so that's bad. It was all yeah. bad news, you it know. I mean, news. I felt I feel like we had just when all this COVID stuff hit, we, you know, the the opiate crisis that's been going on, the opiate epidemic that's been happening, you know, it it had just started getting like some national attention that it needed, and there was, you know, there's was some money allocated uh, from for it, a decent amount at least to start with, and then this hit, and I feel like you know we're kind of taking a step, you know taking our our eye off that ball off the epidemic and it's on the pandemic of COVID-19 now. (laughs) Right, right. So this thing isn't going anywhere anytime soon. And so we're going to have to be able to adapt um, to to be able to to deal with this. 
The other statistic that was what you were just talking about is more than a third of people who took this um, this this survey where they're trying to gather information, a third of people said they experienced disruptions in accessing treatment. So whether that's that includes twelve uh, step recovery meetings or um, residential rehab service, a third one out of three people said that this the pandemic has kept them from accessing addiction services of one kind or another. Right. And so, you know. That's um, that should be pretty alarming, you know. Um, I know, I know. Like in April, May, when it was still kind of early on with it, I mean, there was some, you know, treatment centers that wasn't even taking anybody at the time. Well, they didn't know what to do. They didn't know um, what to do because that kind of begs this question. I got to thinking because here in our state, which I think that just opened back up, but they they had shut nursing homes and like hospitals all the way down. So right. if you had loved ones in there. Um, you couldn't go visit them. You know, you, you got a phone call from staff mm-hmm. telling you what was going on. And that, that was preventative measures uh, so that COVID didn't get inside the hospital or the nursing homes. So I, I would assume that our recovery um, centers are the same way. I don't know that to be true. I'm just making that assumption. And so I know back when I was in treatment, ma'am, you know, cause a lot of our treatments, they last months at a time mm-hmm. and you start getting homesick and the difficulties that come with that. I would guess that there's no visitors allowed for your recovery centers. And that would, that would make it even more difficult. I know, you know, AMA against medical advice was, you know, a lot of people would leave for different reasons. And for me personally, when I was in treatment, you know, just hanging on to see my family come see me one more time was awesome, you know? And so not to have that would be another type of disruption, but, um, you know, those other disruptions are just, you know, what we're talking about with online stuff, you know, um, you know, that's different is, is completely different than the model that most people are used to in recovery of trying to use that. Now on the opposite side of that, there is the convenience factor of an online meeting. You take, um, single moms or single parents for that matter. Uh, You can just walk in the next room and jump in, and there you go. Um, You're in a meeting. You don't have to worry about babysitters and all that. But there also comes the difficult uh, challenge of keeping anonymity and confidentiality. You sign in with your kids in the room with you, you know, um, there's a lot of chaos possibly in the room with the kids running around, or they hear who's in that meeting or see who's in that meeting. And it'd be difficult to keep uh, a lot of that those safety precautions in place yeah and i know some groups i'm sure have gotten have gotten you know tech savvy on how to do this effectively um i would have no doubt they've already figured that out pretty quickly um with well, there's some they have they your phones yeah and you know uh-huh. um, you have to make sure that you're in a private place so that no one else can see who's on on the screen I've seen those things, and those are, are are the best case scenarios, I believe. Yeah, you know, and kudos for giving that a try. But I think there may be some recovery places that are not um, as I don't know. Police is not the word I want to use, but um, those measures are not taken. As oh strongly. yeah, I'm sure. For instance, I know I'm jumping around here, but I mean, you went to a a face to face meeting not too long ago. Yeah, and no one was wearing a mask. <laughs> he was wearing I a mean, mask. 
And whether, whatever yeah. your stance is on a mask, because I'm kind of an anti-mask guy. I wear them because that's what we're asked to do. But if, if I can get by without wearing it, I'm going to. Yeah. But then I think of a recovery meeting like that. You've got a lot of people who can't or are scared to go in there without a mask. And if you're in there without a mask, you would deter them from going in to get recovery. Right. So there's that dilemma yeah. that goes on there, even with face-to-face right now. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, when you have a loss of services available to people who need the help, you're inevitably going to have the the main problem, which I think is, is what this whole pandemic has caused, and that's the isolation part. Um, especially when, like, it's like a government-mandated isolation. Um, you know, or, or say you're exposed to somebody who has COVID Well, you're supposed to quarantine or you, or you test positive yourself. You're supposed to quarantine. I've heard several stories, um, now, um, there was even one, uh, last week or, you know, it was a famous person that relapsed after having 16 years of sobriety mm-hmm. and, um, you know. How much did the did the pandemic and all that kind of stuff play into that from being at home so much and all that kind of stuff? I mean, you know. Well, I, you and I, we keep saying that, you know, face-to-face meetings are hard to find. In reality, they're not that hard to find, or at least here. But we have excuses of why we don't want to go to that meeting or yes. this meeting. You're right. I it's, don't want to. And, yeah. and a lot of that is because of the isolation. I really believe that is you've began to talk yourself out of things. Cancel culture. Yes. You're like, I'm not doing that anymore because yeah. of COVID. Exactly. You do that with everything. I, I mean, I've been doing that with everything across the board since it all started. Right. I'm like, well, I'm not going to do that. It's COVID. Right. You know. <laughs> um, but. You know, I, I look back at it because here I am years sober now, and, and I don't look at things the same as I did when I was first sober. Because when I was first sober, it was beat into me, you got to do whatever it takes to stay sober as it did to get high. Meetings kept you sober. And I would run to go do anything to go find my dope. Anything. Oh, there yeah. was no no holes barred. I was going to make it happen. But now I've come up with, no, I don't want to go there because I don't want a mask. I don't want to do the online meetings because I'm sick of online meetings. And I've come up with all these excuses now yeah uh, why i can't do it and you know i I don't know where the fine line is you know um when do you not have to go to as many have you got enough uh years i don't think i'm i don't think i'm recovery or relapse proof you know Um, i think i can go back in a heartbeat so I, I guess I do pick and choose what I believe is wise and how to best maintain my recovery. Um, it's still about talking to my, those people within my circle of recovery. It's still doing this show, you know, keeping my mind on recovery. Uh, there, there's still very, there's still a lot of things in my recovery program than the meeting itself. Right. While I will still say I believe meetings are one of the most important things of recovery, but. You know, it's even the isolation that we're talking about. It's even kind of hurt my relationship with with God, with my higher power, because I don't know. This is another one of those excuses. You know, I I don't really want to get up and read my Bible. I don't want to do those things because you just kind of get in that rut. Yeah. And I'm getting to a rut with a coronavirus or without a coronavirus. Oh, yeah, right. But I blame it on the coronavirus now. Yeah. Well, I, I think I think this whole thing thing has forced us into new territory, unchartered waters, um, in in our recovery. And so, like the bedrock to me, the bedrock of my recovery, like you early on, was meetings. You got to make it to a meeting, and you know, 
for, for forever, as long as I've been going to any kind of recovery meetings, you know, if somebody said, hey, you know, uh, I need help, I have a problem, I'm struggling with addiction or whatever, the first thing I would always say to them is go to a meeting. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's go, let's co- come to a meeting with me. Hey, come to this meeting. I'll come pick you up, whatever. Well, that's not really the first option on the table now in a lot of places, um, you know, um, and so you're, you're forced into coming up with a more nebulous recovery plan. Yeah. I don't know how else to say it, like a, a recovery plan that's that's more, you know, not a standard always one size kind of fits all, you know, recovery plan. And I mean, one of the main things that has kind of been keeping me grounded is just keeping talking to you, my sponsor. Yeah. You know, um, I, I can't imagine ha- not having a sponsor at all and going from going to weekly meetings to just nothing, you know, and not having anything, you know, no uh, foundation to to stay connected to. Because yeah, if you're just now getting into recovery, my my take and my suggestion to anyone, um, not not that anyone who's got any amount of time is um, immune from anything, but if you're just now getting into recovery or maybe a few months or years into recovery, then um, whether it be a, going to a meeting with no mask or a meeting with mask or an online meeting, those are more important than going back out and getting high. Oh, yeah. You know, so you make it happen. You don't let fear stop you because I, I had fear when I first started going to meetings without the coronavirus. And that fear was somebody might see me there that knows me, <laughs> yeah. you know, um, whatever. You know, you know, now the fears, oh, well, someone may, kid may hear what I'm saying. Who cares? You know, it's better than going out and using. Yeah. Um, so whatever, you, know, you mentioned this earlier, if it's working, keep doing it. Yeah. But uh, you got to be honest with that because that can go two ways. Because you could say, "Well, I'm not doing any meetings because of coronavirus." And it's working. And it's working. <laughs> and I'm not going to go. Well, you know, I, I've heard so many of my close friends through this coronavirus either relapse or die. Oh yeah, and that's real. No, I mean, yeah, that, I that is people. really, yeah. really real that people are dying yep. um, that have been years in sobriety. Yeah. Or or relapse that had years, as you mentioned, some famous person. I don't know who that was. It doesn't matter. I'll tell you later. But but you know, it. But just, I've had friends overdose right. since the coronavirus. Yeah, I've had yeah. many, many, many that's done that. And so it's um, you, you don't plan, you know, because you just because it's working, is it really working? Because if you've quit doing meetings, you've quit reading your literature, you've quit praying, you quit calling your sponsor, all all of that will not sustain you. It just will not do it, no. in my opinion. Right. You know, um, can you do away with one of those and still make it? Maybe so. I, I don't know. Yeah. There, I think it's different for every person. But don't fool yourself into believing whatever's working is just going to work, so I'm going to keep doing it this way. Yeah, I mean. To be honest. Right. I mean, and, and me and you were talking about this the other day as far as, like, you know, where where am I? Well, I was at, you know, I'm like, I don't really know where I am in my recovery program, you know, without meetings being a part of it. And what do I need to do, you know, about that? And so, but at least I have somebody in my life, uh, like you, my sponsor, who's asking me those questions. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so that's, that's at least something that is, um, you know, I have to, 
you know, it's got some teeth that sinks in, you know, and it's not just me and myself and my itty-bitty committee, uh, my brain just kind of coming up with stuff going, oh, yeah, that's, you know, you're doing fine, you know, because my ideas, to me, always sound great. And so <laughs> I exactly. can talk myself into a lot of things. Right. And, uh, you know, as much as I say I know I'm I'm relapse, you know, I can definitely relapse, I would say, honestly, most of the time I, I don't think I'm going to. Because I don't think I don't think that's something you naturally after you have a few years of sobriety, you don't naturally wake up every day going, you know, I could relapse. Right. You know, um, once you kind of get far away from it, it, it's easier to think that I got this. And even though I know I don't, it, it's just it's kind of human nature just to kind of the further away you get from a tragedy or uh, you know a painful experience, you just kind of forget about it. Now, you don't automatically just say, I got this. No. But your attitude speaks, you've got yeah. this. So I guess as we close this up, I wanted to kind of, without having any bullet points in front of us, I wanted us to give our listeners maybe, I, I, it's not even, a, I'm not even going to say let's give five. Just let's, we'll rattle off a few here uh, that we think are kind of the things you need to do to navigate this Corona world as you have now. And I get, and, and these are no particular order. Um, just what I would suggest someone who called me today, w- what to do, or maybe you've been in recovery or maybe you're just getting in recovery. These are some things that I would say, uh, one, um, if possible to make it to an in-person meeting, I would go to in-person meeting mm-hmm. Two, um, if in-person meeting is not available, then I would suggest maybe an outdoor meeting. You know, that, that, that's yeah. some of those things. And then, of course, three would be your online meetings. If online meetings work better for you than in-person meetings, then put that to your number one or whatever. You know, those are just get to a meeting somehow or another. Yeah. Uh, I believe whether it be in-person or online, those are important. If uh, meetings are not an option or even they are an option, be sure to include your sponsor with those things. Yes. Um, talk to them. Be very candid and open with what's going on in your life. Um, I found that my sponsor can't really help me if I'm not really honest. Right. You know, it's easy to still keep the mask on even though you're recovery. Right. So you got to be honest. Um, also, your prayer time in relationship with, with God. And, I, you know, I don't know where you're at in that, that process, but, you know, Prayer is probably the best way to begin that. If you if you haven't done any of it, just begin praying morning and night and throughout the day if needed. Don't lose that um, nugget of prayer because that's important. Literature, whatever program you're in, be reading the literature that goes along with that program. And um, you don't need a meeting to go read your literature. You yeah, don't need a meeting right. to pray. Those are things you can do in your own time. But if you neglect those things, odds are you're going to figure out a way not to do any of those meetings that we talked about at the beginning of that. Sure. What do you think? Is there any more have I missed? Get a sponsor. Yes. Or did you already say that? Well, I talked about using your sponsor. Oh, yeah. If you don't have a sponsor, get a sponsor. And if you don't have a sponsor – Nine times out of ten, there's someone that you've called about where to go to a meeting. What did right. you do to get sober? Get a temporary sponsor. Use that person right now yeah. because you don't know who else to get. We'll just say, hey, man, can you tell me some things to do until we figure out what to do? Yeah. And my guess is they're going to help you. you oh, know, they yeah. may tell you go read these pages or go 
pray this prayer or whatever, but just lean on them for now, mm-hmm. you know, whatever that looks like for you. Uh, the great thing about community, and this is the reason I always go back to that, is if I put all my faith into one person, that person's ultimately one day going to fail me. Sure. And so I, if I've got a, a multitude of people to continue to, to rely on, then when that one person fails me, there's another one there to help me out. Mm-hmm. And two, sometimes it's better to get more than one point of, of advice. Oh, yeah. So that's the reason, one reason I believe community is so important. So, you know, those are not like surefire ways to navigate the coronavirus, but they're definitely ways things. to get started. Yeah. And the biggest thing is not to deceive yourself because when we're isolated, we don't make good decisions. Right. I mean, you begin, it's me, myself, and I, and that's who got you in the situation to begin with. Right, yeah. And so it's, it's usually better to include some more voices of reason in there, get good um, godly wise counsel, and begin making some decisions with what other people tell you to do. I agree. Good stuff. Well, um, I think that's kind of the way I would navigate it. That is the way I'm navigating um, coronavirus right now. And if anybody can tell you that they know exactly what to do, I would run from them because they're probably going to sell you something at the end of it because I I don't know how to do it. We don't. Neither does no one else because we've never done it before. Everybody's making it up as they go. But, you know, we've been doing it (laughs) since, what, March now. So we've been doing it a while, and it's working for some. And so stick with the winners, listen to what they got, and – just keep doing the deal. Just don't think that you'll get sober after coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, now's just as good a time as any to yeah. get sober. It is. It, it may be harder. It may be easier. Yeah. We don't know because we've never been here before. People so are just, getting sober. Yeah. Put People the next foot sober. forward and do the next right thing. Yeah. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of another one. I'm Roger. I'm Jason. We're signing out. Thanks for listening to Soberholic with Roger and Jason. If you like the show and want to know more, check out SoberholicPodcast.com. Please remember to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you next week, Soberholics.